0: Welcome to Safety Chats. Host Jason Stark, Director of Safety at Baldwin Safety and Compliance, shares decades of aviation experience and a passion for safety. Let's get started with this week's Safety Chat.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Baldwin Safety Chat podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about all things safety management or safety related. I want to talk about the four-letter organization called ICAO. One of the highlights of my career was serving on the safety management panel at ICAO, helping to rewrite for the second edition of Annex 19 and the fourth edition of 9859. It was an absolute privilege to be in a room with those people. The reason I want to talk about ICAO is because it's going to sound like Paul Revere. But the SMS is coming. The SMS is coming. And I feel like Paul Revere is shouting this down. The streets. And we all know. We've all heard the rumors. I'm going to put it in the context of 135 operators, but certainly also for MROs and possibly flight training organizations and airports. The rumor is this fall... The NPRM is supposed to be released to require 135 operators to implement a safety management system, and with the goal of possibly having the requirements set in regulations by next fall. We'll see, it's the government, depending on how quickly or slowly they move, it might come to fruition. But the other rumors I've been hearing around. The implementation. The 135 organizations, especially the smaller ones, have expressed concern. The safety management regulations as is, are not applicable to the operations which uh, like I said, a smaller 135 might engage in. There's some angst around the upcoming regulations. There's people that think it won't be applicable. There's been other rumors too, one that I heard recently that the FAA may not require safety management systems for organizations that operate aircraft under 12,500 pounds. But again, that's rumor and it's it's this back and forth of seeing Well, who should implement. Should it be a wide swath and everybody that won implement or should it just be a select? And if it is a select, who's a select? I might have an inkling of an answer. To unpack that answer, we actually need to turn to ICAO. ICAO, as you know, the International Civil Aviation Organization is the standards body for global aviation. ICAO came into being as a result of the Chicago Convention that was ratified on December seventh, nineteen forty-four, which it created an organization where the world, the world's countries, and ICAO refers to them as states with a capital S states. So anytime I say state, I'm referring to a country. But where the countries or the states could come together, figure out how to create standards air transportation, to basically level the playing field so that nobody's at a disadvantage, nobody's at an advantage, and it creates a seamless, less complicated system so that air transportation could be done efficiently and effectively and ultimately safely, right? I'm going to go to the ICAO documentation. And one other segue before we get there, and you might say, why are we talking about ICAO? What does this have to do with regulations? As a signature to the Chicago Convention, the United States is obligated by that Chicago Convention to implement the standards that have been set forth by Okay, In the Chicago Convention, Article 37 it's the adoption of the SARPs, as it's called, Standards and Recommended Practices. By signing the convention, the United States is obligated to adopt and implement the standards set forth by ICAO. And, and that only makes sense. If you're going to sign this agreement to standardize world air transportation, this uh, standards body puts out these standards and you've agreed to them, well, you should probably implement them. And, and it is interesting to note that Article 38 does say if there's any reason that the state cannot implement the requirement that they have to file notice of difference, and you can always find those notices of difference in a state, capital S, uh, AIP. Let's go back to now who should safety management systems be for. I'm gonna unpack this and then and then talk about it after. Let's look at Annex 19. Annex 19, chapter three, section 3.3, it talks about state safety risk management. Now, Annex 19, if you know, is the all the standards grouped together that deal with safety management. What it's saying in section 3.3, states, capital S shall require that the following service providers under their authority implement a safety management system. And one of those are approved training organizations in accordance with Annex 1 that are exposed to safety risks related to aircraft operations during the provision of those services. But it's the very next one. Operators of airplanes or helicopters authorized to conduct international commercial air transport in accordance with Annex 6 part one, or part three, section two. In that statement, ICAO is telling the states that they need to create regulatory requirements for safety management for operators that conduct international commercial air transport or in accordance with annex six part one or part three which should happen to be helicopters but we'll get to that in a second and we've seen that in the united states to some extent maybe a little bit more than what ICAO is asking the regulating of part 121 carriers to have a safety management system is partially to fill that obligation to ICAO I want to take it one step further because it says oh you know I'm not commercial aviation oh, I fly privately I I'm private aviation well, What does ICAO have to say about safety management systems for private operators? Further down in 3.3.2.3, you got to love these numbering systems of Annex 19, the state of registry shall establish criteria for international general aviation operators of large or turbojet airplanes in accordance with Annex 6 Part 2 Section 3. To implement an sms it is interesting that it goes one step further and it says the criteria established by the state of registry in accordance with 3323 shall address the sms framework and elements contained in appendix 2. let's unpack that one for a second the ICAO has used the dreaded shall but ICAO has basically told the states the country that they do need to establish criteria for international aviation operators of larger turbojet, but again, for international general aviation operators of large or turbojet airplanes in accordance with Annex 6, Part 2, Section 3. Kind of interesting. I know business operators, business aviation operators were like, okay, well, you know, this, this is for the commercial guys. Well, actually not. You know, ICAO is saying that for international general aviation operators, specifically under Annex 6, Part 2, Section 3, the state should establish criteria. It's interesting because they say establish criteria as opposed to Annex 6, Part 1 operators that they shall require. In that requirement, we go to Chapter 4, 4 4.1.1, but it says the safety management system of a service provider, the one that the state is going to make the service provider have, shall be established in accordance with the framework elements contained in Appendix 2 and everybody. I hope you all know your four components of 12 elements by heart. The safety management system of the service provider of the NX6 part one provider um, shall be established accordance with the framework elements contained in appendix two of annex 19 which is that four components 12 element, and of course that famous line be commensurate with the size of the service provider and the complexity of its aviation products or services wow that was a lot of ikoes it's easy because I have it right in front of me, and I, maybe you guys are trying to keep up with, with what I'm saying here, but in a nutshell, ICAO is telling the states they need to establish regulations for international commercial aviation operators to implement a safety management system that is established according to the four components and 12 elements, and it has to obviously work. It has to be appropriate, right? And then furthermore, ICAO is saying states, again, capital S, shall establish... Establish Criteria, Not really regulations, but criteria for international general aviation operators of large or turbojet airplanes in accordance with Annex 6 Part 2, Section 3 to implement a safety management system. Let's talk just for a second of who these people are. Who is an Annex 6 Part 1 operator? And I'm going to take it right out of Annex 6 Part 1. International commercial air transport operator that conducts, well, guess what? International commercial air transport operations, including scheduled and non-scheduled international air transport for remuneration or higher, scheduled or non-scheduled. Well, you see, we got the schedule taken care of, right? In Part 121, it's the non-scheduled that we are at difference with right now. But that's okay, because we're getting there. That's an Annex 6 Part 1 operator. What is an Annex 6 Part 2 Section 3 operator? I can address those two in terms of international general aviation. So Annex 6 Part 2, in general, are the standards and recommended practices applicable to international general aviation operations with aeroplanes, not aerocrafts. Airplanes. It is important to note Annex 6 Part 2 Section 3 operator is those operations that operate aircraft over 12,500 pounds and have one or more turbojet engines. I want you to think of it in the context it is our business aviation operators, our Gulfstream Talkers, Challengers. That is an Annex 6 Part 2. 2 section 3 operators, and when ICAO is talking about safety management requirements they are actually t- talking to Annex 6 part 2 section 3 operators so all you Gulfstream and, and heavy iron and uh, the medium iron operators that, that fly internationally that ICAO is talking to they're saying the state or in our case the United States really needs to, to establish requirements for a safety management system. So what about the Annex 6 Part 3 Operator? The Annex 6 Part 3 Operator 3 covers all the operation of all helicopters in international civil aviation, including general aviation use of, of helicopters, as well as commercial air transport. ICAO basically took all the, the rotary wing operations and stuck them right into Annex 6 Part 3. But it's interesting that when we go back to the requirements that were set forth under Annex 19 Section 3.3, it says operators of airplanes or helicopters authorized to conduct international commercial air transport in accordance with Annex 6 Part 1 or Part 3, Section 3. And Part 3, Section 3 in Annex 6 Part 3 is commercial operations of helicopters. Wow, (laughs) we have said a lot. Are you guys keeping up? Are you with me so far? But I hope you're picking up on a theme because I keep saying one word quite a bit. Starts with Alien and ends with International. Continue on because we have to answer the question of what is international flight? I think that's really important. And you wouldn't believe how hard it is to actually find. A definition from ICAO on international flight. I looked at Annex, uh, Annex 1, Annex 2, even Annex 19. Um, there really is no definition of international flight. So I did find it. ICAO has like a master glossary. They define a flight stage. Flight stage is the operation of an aircraft from takeoff to its next landing. A flight stage is classified as either international or domestic based on the following definitions. And the only one we're concerned about is international. So international flight stage. A flight stage with one or both terminals, meaning takeoff or departure in the territory of a state other than the state in which the air carrier has its principal place of business. Interesting. In essence, if you had an organization, a commercial operator, registered, say, in the United States, and let's say it did a leg completely in Canada, that would be based in Canada. It's not registered in Canada. Its the primary place of business is not Canada. It's the United States. By hopping back and forth, that would be considered an international operation. I want to get back to the question of if we're going to delineate who the safety management system regulations should be applicable to, especially when implementing for 135 operations, I think it really needs to be based on whether they are authorized to operate internationally or not. But here's the reason why. ICAO is concerned about global transportation and and what happens with global transportation. In the context of interface management, when the operator of of an aircraft, like an airline or, or a charter company, when they fly into another state, those two states are interfacing, in a sense. If the operator for one state has baggage associated with it, and I don't mean the the physical baggage that would go in the plane, but like emotional safety baggage, and it has problems associated with it, it's going to bring those problems into the other state. And that's exactly what ICAO wants to prevent. It does not want to have substandard operators going into another state and posing a risk to that state and to the people of that state, the passengers, and even the people on the ground. It doesn't want to do that. So in order to clean, quote unquote, clean That interface, ICAO comes up with these standards so that a state accepting the operator of another state, they have an idea of what's coming in and they can expect a certain level of safety. And that's the point. ICAO doesn't care about purely domestic operations in the terms of what is regulated for them specifically, they care about what countries are sending to other countries. I'm not saying that ICAO wouldn't give a whoop if you know, you have planes falling out of the sky in in a certain country, it was all contained domestically, of course they would care. But what I'm saying is that they're predominantly worried about that interface. They don't want one state bringing threats and risk into another state, especially if it's a high risk and that can't be controlled. But if you have an accident in another state, ultimately, more than likely, you're going to impact passengers or citizens from that state, not only in the aircraft, but potentially on the ground. ICAO is worried about that. So when it comes to the safety management system regulation, what I came with saying is that, hey, if you're going to be traveling from one country to another country, you should really have a system in place where you can identify problems and mitigate them and then show stakeholders how you're identifying those problems and if your controls are working so that you're not bringing issues and you're controlling issues before you bring them into another country. That's a requirement with ICAO, specifically even in NX-6 Part 1 operators. When we're revolving around this question, and we want to stay true to ICAO, asking, well, who should implement safety management systems? If we're going to stage it, I mean, safety management system is not a bad idea. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to get people out of it. What I'm saying is that, hey, maybe we should, should stay true to ICAO, look at the aircraft that we're sending across the world, have them implement safety management system. Now we're given a little bit more freedom, because if we're going to regulate it for just purely domestic operators, that's kind of off the radar of ICAO. The ICAO-SARP is for International Commercial or International General Aviation Operations. That gives, in our case, the FAA a little bit more freedom to say, okay, well, maybe the four components of 12 elements, as they are in Appendix 2, maybe they wouldn't work. And maybe we could do something else for the domestic operators. It gives a little bit more freedom. So when we do this, especially for the 135s, when we have those 135s, for example, up in Alaska that just basically fly from one side of the mountain range to the other side of the mountain range to bring supplies, this could give a little more freedom to say, hey, look, we do something? ...something that maybe makes sense in what we do. When I came made this regulation, they were thinking, of course, their first default is the international airlines. The airlines that go from one country to the other. And then, you know, they said, well, we include non-scheduled, which would include charter companies. But that's their mindset. They're not thinking about the husband and wife, one aircraft, a 310 in Rochelle, Illinois operator, when they're talking about implementing a safety management system. When you talk about the guy in Alaska with one beaver, the girl in Hawaii, flying helicopter tours, they're not thinking about that. They're thinking about, again, on a global scale. and They're thinking about harmonizing and making sure, again, that one state isn't allowing its operators to bring garbage into another state. That's my opinion. <laughs> hope I don't come across as too opinionated, but I uh, doubt the FAA will listen to this podcast, but if they do, maybe consider in all this hoopla, let's look at the ones that are authorized, that have the aspects op to operate globally or internationally. Let's look at them first. Rather than a broad brush, everybody uh, who's 135, or all the 135s over 12,500. Now there's a good chance that most of the 135s over 12,500 are international. Anyway, let's hit the ones Ikea is really talking about first, learn from them, and then find something that's going to work for our domestic operators to keep our own NAS safe in uh, doing what we do. That's my little rant. I hope they come across as too opinionated, but it is something that I kind of want to get off my chest, especially when I start hearing these rumors. Just go back to Ikea and get the answer, in my opinion. I would also like to talk about Part 5 specifically, specifically, specifically in relation to Annex 19. Um, have some thoughts about that, but I will spare you on this podcast and then give you my thoughts about Part 5 and if it really is feasible or not and if it really stays true to Annex 19, but we'll save that till next time. Thank you so much for listening. It is really an honor that I get to speak about this openly, and if there's anything that you would like me to talk about or anything that you'd like me to bring up on the podcast, please drop me a line. Any way we can make it better or more applicable so that it could be one of your favorite podcasts, please let me know. Until next next time, guys. Thank you again. look forward to seeing you next pod. Stay safe.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Baldwin Safety and Compliance, the leader in safety management for the transportation industry. Since 2004, Baldwin has been providing state-of-the-art solutions and 24-7 support to the aviation and transportation industries. Baldwin's clients include all sizes and types of transportation operators. Baldwin provides safety and related business services to commercial and non-commercial transportation operators, medical transporters, FBOs, MROs, airports, flight schools, UAS operators, firefighters, OEMs, ground transport operators, and others. Visit baldwinsms.com to discover how Baldwin can enhance your organization's safety program.